It is another edition of Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. It's Jamie Dodd. It's my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Durance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. We are live in the broadcast gondola at Rogers Arena for the first time this season. It's good to be back. It is really good to be this back. This is far better. Perch. Looking at the ice, looking oh, yeah. at the skate, it's fantastic. Stealing batches binoculars <laughs> to do line rushes. Um, way better than the absurd setups that I've been using at UBC. I don't know if you saw the wall sit photo I did. or if our listeners <laughs> saw the wall sit photo. <laughs> I did. And then also the, uh, you know, I like plugged in. There's a plug behind the uh the boards sure that they like use for the scoreboard that i was i plug a router into it like i really just like set up and then i'm in the stands using three seats like completely ridiculous plus my mic is just obscene i have a i have a quadracast um whatever it's called and it looks like a budweiser goal light so i look (laughs) completely ridiculous particularly when i'm set up behind the goaltender i feel like i feel like the goalies must have thought i was trolling them Oh, just a real professional, uh, a professional <laughs> setup, uh, you know, as we do here. Uh, Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. We're at the rink, but, you know, still coming to you live from the mobile Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. And, of course, we are at Rogers Arena because there's going to be a game here tonight, a preseason game against one of the Canucks' divisional rivals, the Seattle Kraken, uh, the three scratches on the ice for the Canucks still uh, just getting their extra work in as they do not figure to play tonight, Drancer. I have a good friend who likes to say whenever I send highlights from the preseason, right? Like, I'll send highlights. I'm in a group chat, and I have – we send highlights from preseason games, like goals, big hits. You know, the Zegras hit obviously went around. But so did that Zellweger pass to Ryan Strom for the goal, right? Like, I'll send highlights. And one guy in the group chat is the misanthrope about it, and his rule is no preseason content. No preseason content, it doesn't matter. Well, you know what? I could not disagree more. I love this time of year, and I'm, like, legitimately thrilled to have an opportunity to watch Shane Wright play tonight. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm legitimately pumped about coming to the rink this evening for a 6.30 start and watching Shane Wright play hockey. Yeah, it's uh, we'll get into the Kraken side of things a little bit later. Allison Lucan, one of the uh, the sharpest analysts in the sport who does, uh, who does uh, game coverage on TV for the Seattle Kraken, she'll join us at 11. I, I'm curious to get her thoughts on this Kraken squad, but as you said, a highlight right there, uh, Shane Wright, fourth overall draft pick, coming to town <laughs> to play here. For, fourth overall in your program, number one in yes. our hearts, yes, Shane Wright. Yes, exactly. Probably should have been first overall. Probably. Hey, we'll see. We'll see. Man, and not to go not to go full Simpsons like, oh, my job. Um, but, like, my goodness, probably. <laughs> what, you say, you'll say definitely? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I would have taken him first Ridiculous. overall. Ridiculous. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. They host the Kraken tonight at 6.30. Pre-game coverage begins at 6 right here. Uh, and, of course, Batch. And I believe, uh, I know he was out sick yesterday, but I believe Randy Bjanda will be back on color with Batch today. All right, let's get into it. We'll run through the lineup. I mean, first of all, I guess we should touch on, you know, just another edition of Canucks preseason injury drama that unfolded this morning. I don't oh, think there's goodness. a lot to say about it, but, you know, Frank Cervelli, our guy, insider for Daily Faceoff, who's a regular on the station, uh, got people a little a little nervous, to say the least, 
Uh, I actually, I always log into the text message inbox in the morning, Drancer, just to see, like, what's the tone of the conversation? What are people saying to Halford and Bruff? And I logged in before I had seen the news, but just as people were reacting to it, and it was all like, why do I cheer for this franchise? What's going on? We're cursed. This is horrible. And I was like, oh, oh no, something must have happened. And the report from Cerevelli was that there were concerns, initial concerns, uh, that Ilya Mikheyev might have a torn ACL, Shortly after that, uh, Irfan Gafar, friend of the station, Canucks reporter, came and said, they don't think it's that serious. They're expecting him to get back in the ice in the next day or so. And that's where we stand right now with Ilya Mikheyev. It could be bad. It could not be. We'll see. Yep. I mean, we will see. Here, here's, here's, you'll notice that I, I tend not to do a big deep dive reports on injuries. I prefer contracts, <laughs> talks, <laughs> uh, what a team wants to accomplish. And it's kind of for this reason. You know, at this time of year... At this time of year, you have to be very careful about things. Like, the Canucks calling Besser precautionary, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, well, another loss for precautionary, right? Like, why wouldn't the team level with us? But it's like, you don't know sometimes when a guy gets off the ice and is like, hey, this hurts, what it is. Sometimes it's swollen, and it can't even be x-rayed or evaluated properly for 48 hours. Timelines change, right? Besser now has surgery three to four weeks. Guess what? That could be four to six weeks. Like, you know, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. He also could be back on the ice skating in 10 days. You know, like, you have to be really careful at this time of year. Where I sort of start to really dig into injuries with a little more, um, like, urgency mm-hmm. is in the playoffs. Right? Once playoffs come around or, like, really important games, then I feel like availability matters more. At this time of year, it's kind of the Wild West, no matter how good your information is. And I think the Saravali and Earth sort of reports, both based off of different opinions that Mikhaev seems to have actually got, is a really good window that you don't often get as a fan to just how dramatic the polls can be between, hey, this is day-to-day, right? One one is day-to-day, or one is, ah, oh my goodness, this could be long-term, and the line between those two can be so thin, which is why, you know, this market has this habit of, as a timeline gets pushed out, or a guy's said to be three to four weeks and then... It's three to four weeks. Where is he? Yeah. Right, and then and then all oh, the medical staff are like, "What is going on with this or team?" Or it was lies, right? right. It was dishonesty. Totally. Yeah. And the Makai, like, I actually am sort of glad this happened because this is such a good window into just how thin the line can be between something that looks or feels long term or is you know weeks to months versus something that's hey he'll be on the ice by you know Monday of next week, mm-hmm. right? I mean. The line can be so thin, it can be a matter of different opinions, it can be a matter of interpretation, and and it can change as a result of swelling, additional um, tests, what have you, as you go. So, uh, you know, that's how this should be read. This should be read, in my view, as sort of a big picture indicator of just how delicate injury news can be to handle. And that's sort of why I tend to tread with caution, partly because I've handled it on the other side, right? Partly because I've been involved... Uh, with sort of communicating it to the public. And I know how difficult and annoying it can be to sort of say one thing and then the next day the situation's completely different and you sort of have to try and thread the needle. It's it's a, it's tough. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. That's where we stand with Ilya Mikheyev. We will see if uh, there's any further comment from Bruce Boudreau or any update when Bruce Boudreau speaks to the media in a little bit here, and we will relay that as it comes in. But, yes, uh, conflicting reports, but seems to be trending in a positive direction, although, again, as Drance says, take it with a grain of salt until we hear more concrete information. Speaking of a grain of salt, Dom from Coquitlam 
texts in, what type of shampoo does Drance use when he's rinsing his hair? I don't have hair, bud. I haven't used shampoo in five years. Bar of soap. Bar of soap on the skin on my head. It's fine. I was, uh, I was, <laughs> I was, when we were up in Whistler, I was uh, staying in the batch and I had a suite in the hotel Ooh. together. So uh, we had to, uh, you know, we were, we were sharing the bathroom and I yeah. got into the shower after he had been in there and I was like, oh, weird. The batch didn't bring any shampoo in here. I was like, oh, right. Of course. <laughs> he wouldn't need to. He wouldn't need to. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to go get some. Anyways, moving on from the uh, ball shampoo talk, uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, again, the Canucks host the crack, and we can get into all of the lineup details uh, for the Canucks. I think there's actually some really interesting things to watch for, but I'll throw it to you, uh, Drancer. I'll throw it out to the listeners as well. I mean, what are you most excited and interested to see uh, in the preseason game between the Canucks and the Kraken tonight? It's well, Shane what Wright. Are, what are you? Well, okay, hold on. I'm hold on. sorry. It's Shane Wright. From a Canucks perspective, then, Drancer, uh, what know. are you watching for tonight? Well, look, the, the thing that I sort of read the most into based on how the Canucks are lined up, right? You know, Linus Carlson getting the shot with Pedersen and Kuzmenko feels big, but I, I feel like it's not. I feel like it's just let's get a look at a guy who might be a call-up option in the season and see sort of what he looks like playing with skilled players mm-hmm. because Linus Carlson's not a guy you're going to call up to play on your fourth line, right? If he's coming up, it's because you need some t- some middle six scoring. So give him a look with some skilled players. See how he handles the pace against a relatively slow Kraken team and have a good sense of what options he might give you later on in the season. So that one means less to me, in fact, than Niels Hoaglander, who was dropped off of that line, which feels like, oh man, they're pumping the brakes on the Niels Hoaglander training camp momentum. I don't see it that way, right? He's playing tonight with Niels Oman and Dakota Joshua, and that to me feels like they're creating a second route, a branched route onto this lineup. Right? All of a sudden, Niels Hoaglander is being tried out in what would look like to us as a... A fourth line. Fourth line. Yep. An, an energy role type line. And by the way, I have no problem with Niels Hoaglander pl- starting the season in that role. Right? I think about, you know, the the legion of Canucks players who've gone on to be huge impact guys who played on top-end fourth lines to open their careers. Obviously, you think about Burroughs, you think about Kessler, but like even going further back, you think about Yarko Rutu, you think about mm-hmm. Matt Cook, you think about some of the fast... Bo Horvat. Sort of, Bo Horvat. Yeah, well, I, but it's that a was... a different category, but he came in and played it, limited minutes early in his, in well, his, his first season. Well, his first season was like the perfect way to develop an NHL centerman. It's so funny that the team duffed Hasn't done that. Well, no, duffed everything since in terms of his development, right? Because thereafter he was just thrown into Tufts as like a 19-year-old. It was like absurd, asking way too much. But that fourth line, you know, playing always with Derek Dorsett, right? They they eventually find chemistry with Ronald's cannons. Like that was – that might have been one of Vancouver's best fourth lines until the motto line, right? Like for Mm -hmm. for seven years was that Dorsett-Bo Horvat-Cannons group. Anyway, with – Niels Hoaglander, it feels like they're creating a route onto this lineup that doesn't require forward injuries, that doesn't require him to bust up their first choice top nine. And, you know, that's a big audition for him. Like, what can you do in an energy role with sort of less skilled guys, right? As the guy who is going to be counted on to drive offense primarily, but also do the gentleman's agreement thing where you can go and play, you know, eight to ten safe minutes a night. That's kind of the look he's getting with Joshua and Oman tonight. I like that for him, and I'm really curious to see how he handles it. Yeah, and I think part of that speaks to a recognition that they're going to have to find a way to get him into the lineup. And, you know, maybe the fourth line isn't the ideal spot, but that's one of the things that comes with having depth, what comes with having lots of good options, is there's going to be some interesting, talented players 
uh, lining up a little bit farther down uh, in the pecking order for things. So I'll run through the uh, the lines as they they skated today. Uh, now as the yeah the extras still out here, so it's Pearson, Miller, and Garland on the top line that stays together from yesterday's practice. As does Kuzmenko, Pedersen, and Linus Carlson together on the second line. Dakota Joshua, Niels Amon, Niels Hoaglander, uh, and Phil DiGiuseppe, Sheldon Dries, and Will Lockwood on the fourth line. On the blue line, it's Owe Allen Hughes with Quinn Hughes playing on the right side. To Kaiser and Poolman stay together, uh, and then Jack Rathbone and Kyle Burrows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of interesting things there. And just, you know, you mentioned the Linus Carlson look. And for the Niels Amon one really stands out to me as well. Because I could see, it's to me it's more plausible, just based on what they've said about Niels Amon and how his game kind of looks and, and stands out and what he's good at so far at this stage in his NHL career. It's more plausible that they could ask him to come up and play the exact role he's going to play tonight than it is then I could say the same about Carlson, right? So Absolutely. that's going to be something I'm really curious to see. Okay, that's like a very much an audition for a plausible NHL role. How does he handle it tonight? Well, and what counts as a victory for both Oman and Carlson, right, is that at training camp they've come in, and at this point, granted there's multiple forward injuries, but at this point they've remained with the main group, mm -hmm. right? I think they've put themselves in pole position. Granted, it sort of depends on what happens with Phil DiGiuseppe to be among the options, to be the first guy called up. That's a huge win for a pair of 22-year-olds adjusting to the North American game, right? They've had a great first week if they're in this position at this point. If you told me, entering training camp, that this is where we'd be a week in, aside from the injuries part, I would have said, wow, they must have crushed it. So they're in a really good spot. Oman playing between Joshua and Hoaglander, yeah, this is a big audition for him too. Real chance to cement himself Honestly, I sort of entered camp thinking he was a dark horse because the details in his game are so far, like, they're they're more developed than Linus Carlson. Mm -hmm. You can see it. They were both on the Swedish uh, World Championship roster, for example, but Linus Carlson didn't get into a game where Oman played, or Oman played six or seven, right? He was an every game player for Sweden. You know, that, that speaks to a level of professional polish, uh, regard for him among the national program that, you know, that's a very good sign for a guy. So, uh, yeah, he's going to have a real shot here. And look, let's not – that's that's really the line of intrigue because Joshua, too, we've talked about it at length, but as injuries mount elsewhere, right, the fact that his cap hit is 770K above that of Burroughs and DiGiuseppe and some of the other contenders to be like guy 22 or 23 on the 23-man roster, you know, he's going to have to start to show something. Yeah. And to this point, it's been quiet. You can see the speed. You can see the size. You know, he's proven at both the American and League and the NHL level that he can A, win draws, B, play center and wing, and C, be a pretty tough energy forward who actually can score a bit too. Love all of those attributes. Team loves all of those attributes. That's why they signed him for to a two-year deal. But at some point, if Di Giuseppe's knocking on the door and Carlson and Oman are impressing the organization, it, you know, you need to make your own stand I don't think we've seen it yet from Joshua. Big opportunity well, ahead even, for him Well, even, you know, tonight. Niels Hoaglander has answered any questions about him potentially going to VHL to start the year, right? At oh. least to this point. So that's always ridiculous. That was one spot that, you know, maybe theoretically you could picture opening up on the roster, and that's certainly closed off. And then, you know, as you said, yeah, Phil DiGiuseppe, they, they, we expect him to still want to get a long look uh, at Jason Dickinson, what he can potentially do, right? So it is a crowded, competitive environment in that bottom six, especially on that for those spots on the fourth line and the 13th forward. And 
I would still bet on Dakota Joshua to claim one of those spots just because of how high the organization was on him, but it does need to start. And, yeah, you know, you're playing. Yeah, it's Niels Amon. It's not an NHL center, but you get to play with Niels Hoaglander, who's a really talented guy as well. So this is an important opportunity uh, for Dakota Joshua as he continues to try to kind of make an impact here at Canucks training camp. And then, you know, the fourth line of, of Phil DiGiuseppe, Sheldon Dries, Will Lockwood, that feels a little bit like, a, you know, we know what we have in you to a certain extent group, right? We're Not that it's a, um, you know, a sign of disappointment in any of those players because obviously DiGiuseppe has been very good, but it's also, well, you know, we have a pretty good idea of what we're getting uh, from those three players at this point. On the blue line, so it's OEL Hughes to Kaiser Pullman and Rathbone Burroughs, and I, I threw the question out to the listeners, 650-650, what are you most excited to watch from a Canucks perspective tonight in the game against the Kraken. And the first one that came in was, uh, I'm most excited to see Rathbone with Burroughs. Could it be a potential third pair for the Canucks? And I'm excited to watch the defense in general. Rathbone sticks out to me because this is also the first we're going to see of Jack Rathbone so far without Luke Shen on his right side, right? So it's yep. not that no, – and look, Kyle Burroughs is a – a reliable, dependable veteran defenseman, obviously. He's golfing, he's golfing the back nine without his usual caddy today. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. He doesn't have doesn't have the big fella over on the other side there. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I'm excited to see how Rathbone does in a little bit of a different situation, you know, just a little bit of a challenge uh, given there to the coaching staff. And also, again, can the DeKaiser-Poolman pairing progress, trend in the right direction to make it – a legitimate conversation to have those guys in the lineup over, for example, Rathbone Shen. Because right now I don't think it is. Right now it's clearly Rathbone Shen for me, but obviously the coaching staff For what, is a good. second pair? Well, no, for over to Kaiser Pullman in the lineup. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I just don't know. I, I have. don't have a good handle on it. Well, so that's what I would do. <laughs> I don't know what the hierarchy of the in, the in the eyes of the coaching staff is. I would say this. I would say... Everything we've seen with how the defense has played out, from Jet Wu getting a lengthy look, an extra scrimmage, being kept at home for the additional split squad game here, right, to the Dermot injury and all of the sort of issues that that poses, to the fact that Quinn Hughes scrimmaged once on the right side and it wasn't immediately, it didn't immediately click, although he looked far better in his second uh, run through. We're going to see him play his first preseason game on the right side. That's the other thing yes, I'm most interested 100%. in watching. Does it look more like it did the second scrimmage or the first scrimmage? Because that's, you know, a big question. And the Dermot injury sort of opens up some questions, too, about whether or not it's even practical to separate Oliver ekman Larson, and Hughes in the event that he's hurt. And, look, if, a, if an injury to Travis Dermott scuttles your top pair, then it's not long for this mm -hmm. team, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's just the case. But everything we've seen from the defense corps, they're gathering information. They're giving Danny DeKaiser a long look. Um, you know, Rathbone's impressed, but they're also taking long looks at guys like Jet Wu. Like, for sure, they're still talking to teams. They're still scouring, you know, trying to figure out what, what options they might have on waivers to, 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 you know, bring in some additional depth. Nothing that I've seen over the past week of Canucks training camp has disabused me of the notion that this defense is the Achilles heel of this team and, you know, could be really problematic for a team that has, you know, ambitions of making significant noise this season. And as you said, you know, so, I mean, it's just like we're talking to Kaiser Pullman. Like, yeah. my goodness. Like, what are they auditioning to be what? A second pair? Oof. Like, what are we? What are, 
I mean, yeah. Well, well, the question is always, who, <laughs> what's the fear of God in me? If you have OEL and Hughes together, who are you playing with Tyler Myers? Because Tyler Myers is going to be your your third most used defenseman. Yeah, right? we all know that. Who are you going to put with him? Is it Danny DeKaiser? Sure hasn't looked like that would be a good idea. It hasn't looked like that so far, right? Is it Travis Dermott? Well, he's hurt now, and I have questions about that anyways. And you start going through the options, and there aren't really very many good options. And that's one of the reasons they brought Danny DeKaiser in on a PTO, to try to find a plausible option there. And just, you know, obviously what we're seeing play out on the ice are coaching decisions. But I do think it also speaks to, as you said, a management group that we know tried hard to find ways to improve the blue line, to, to just change the mix on the blue line more than anything else uh, this summer. Weren't able to do so, but as we go into this period uh, where players are going to start to be available on waivers, right? We're going into the roster cuts well, and, and all that. that's going to happen for the first time in 35 minutes. Exactly, right? So so we have a question in from um, JFID who asks, you guys see any potential waiver defensemen becoming available? Let's talk about it in the third segment well, because there's literally going to be a list of guys to pour over. And as, you know, we talked to Jonathan Wall, was it earlier this week? I think so, yes. And... You know, one of the things he said is you're working the phone so much because putting a player on waivers is really kind of a last resort. You're trying to find mm. any sort of market for the player. Is there any interest? Teams are kind of generally aware of who the players that might be out there are. So, you know, there's the waiver wire situation, but also the existence of the pressure to put a player on waivers might create a trade uh, option or availability for a player where it didn't previously exist for the Canucks. And yeah, as you said, everything we're seeing from how they're managing the blue line, from how they're trying to evaluate it, to me speaks to a management group that is still really, really looking to find ways uh, to bring in additional options and just one, upgrade the talent if they can, but I think also change the fit a little bit, make it a bit of a cleaner fit uh, on the blue line. Uh, I wonder too, like you always want to, there's a lot of teams that scout pretty aggressively at this time of year, right? There's there's teams that scout uh, preseason games, but coverage is obviously better on games that are televised, right? Yes. So one thing one thing I'm sort of looking at here now is you think about a guy like Christian Willannon, right? So Christian Willannon, to me, has looked really good at training camp, and yet he hasn't had a ton of opportunities, right? There, hasn't, there just hasn't been much there. He was sent to Calgary to play the uh, split squad mm-hmm. game mm-hmm. that wasn't televised, He's not playing tonight in a in a Canucks home game that is going to be um, that is going to be televised, right? This is a guy with 70 games of NHL experience, right? Good AHL counting stats. He's only 27, like he he can play six two, almost 200 pounds, right? There's a lot to like in terms of how he profiles as a depth defender. Canucks have not really given him a ton of opportunities. Is that does that reflect how they think of him, or does that reflect the waiver risk that they assess, right? Like, yeah, we really need this guy they're to They're trying to protect him, right? hide like him from the scouts. And that's partly what happens. That's that's part of this game at this time of year, particularly for a guy who's as sort of established as a really good quad A player, but maybe isn't indispensable to you in terms of, in terms of your roster. At some point, though, at some point, though, if, you're, if the Dermot injury is prolonged, right, if there's real doubt about his availability to begin the season – and if Danny DeKaiser's speed continues to look like an issue, like they've got to see, they've got to see what's there. They've got to see what's there too. And I would expect that as as things sort of go along here. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. We're live at Rogers Arena, uh, that where the Canucks will host the Seattle Kraken in a preseason game later tonight. More Canucks hour on the way on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet six fifty.
welcome back to Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the mobile Kintech studio here at Rogers Arena on a Canucks game day preseason action coming to you later uh, against the Seattle Kraken. You will be able to hear it with Batch on the call right here on Sportsnet 650. Pre-game coverage starting at 6 o'clock. Allison Lucan is going to join us to talk about the Kraken in about half an hour. We're going to try to connect with a Canucks player uh, at some point who's going to feature in the game tonight. They just got off the ice, so uh, you know they're doing their thing, and, and we'll try to uh, connect in a little bit here and uh, get some insight from a player ahead of the game tonight. Also expect to hear from Bruce Boudreau uh, at some point as well. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can always get your thoughts in as well. What are you most looking forward to uh, to see in the game tonight? And, look, obviously it's not our first chance to actually see the special teams uh, for the Canucks at play because in that split squad Calgary game there was more than enough special teams uh, for both <laughs> for, for both units in, in action in that one. But they've had a couple days to work on it now at practice. We're getting a sense for – the personnel that's going to be involved. And, and that's going to be something that I am really watching for uh, today as well. And just to run through what those power play groups are going to look like for people. On the first unit, no surprise, Andre Kuzmenko in front of the net. We see him slide into that Brock Besser spot at practice at UBC. It's going to be Miller in his familiar spot, Pedersen in his familiar spot, Hughes up top, Pearson in the bumper, uh, playing that Bo Horvat role, Bo Horvat not in the lineup tonight. And on the second unit, it's Connor Garland net front. Let's uh, go. Linus Carlson, Niels Hoaglander You the know bumper. how excited I am about Garland net front. Jack Rathbone on the left flank and OEL up top. And I do want to say just how how striking it is to have both Andre Kuzmenko and Connor Garland filling the two nets, net front spots. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, collectively like six inches under, under six feet. That's Probably where, more with Connor Garland. It's where involved. the league's going. It it's is where the league's going. You need skill, and I know that Boudreaux and Garland talked about Garland playing the net front toward the end of last season. You know, when Boudreaux was in Washington, occasionally they'd use a smaller guy like a um, Marcus Johansson at the net front. Now this was before the th- one three one days, so uh, take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, as the game has evolved, the down low player is not just a screener necessarily. No. Right, they also have to be able to pop out down low, support the cycle, win pucks on retrieval, and skill and playmaking counts in that spot now. Right, you're you're almost your template is m- more a guy like Tyler Toffoli than it is a guy like Milan Lucic these days. That's well, just how it goes. And for the Canucks specifically, who their best play, their best option on the power play has been the Bo Horvat one timer. Well, having the right hander down there who can. Do the tic-tac-toe pass up to him in the middle, right? It doesn't ha- just have to be the direct feed from Miller. You do the kind of triangle play. Uh, Pep Guardiola would love it. And you need the right-hander there. You need the right-hander, not just a right-hander, but a right-hander who can make that pass effectively yeah, and, and accurately. Yeah, right? and, and quickly. And, and Connor, Connor Garland and Kuzmenko can both do that. Uh, for sure, at least in your mind's eye. So, look, big opportunity for Kuzmenko and a big opportunity, I think, for Garland, too, because if Besser's missing some time to begin the season, right, there is a vacant Net front spot on power play mm-hmm. one. And guess what? That's a really lucrative spot for anyone who wants to put up points, right? You want to put up points. You want to be part of that first unit power play. The four guys up high are set in stone. But there could be opportunity. Opportunity knocks now for Kuzmenko, and it knocks for Garland, who's getting a look in that spot. Um, Niels Hoaglander in the bumper, I like. And then Linus Carlson's a guy to watch here tonight, too. Yep. He's on power play two. He's going to be playing on his left side, right? His downhill side. Yep. 
as a playmaker. I think Carlson Carlson so we also got a I'm going to I'm going to use this too to segue into a into a good comment we got uh, from from a listener who said, Jamie, they asked you. They're you directing get, me. Can you get Dranser to talk about Linus Carlson? Because when he was acquired in the Dolan deal, everyone said he was garbage, and now Dolan is in Europe, and Carlson is fighting for a legit NHL job. What changed? So, there's a lot to unpack here, but let me start with Linus Carlson's power play utility. He's really creative. He's got a really good shot at five on four. I think he has the chops to be a day one difference maker. The problem, of course, for him in that spot is that Vancouver doesn't need a five-on-four difference maker in their bottom six, right? Like, And their top nine's pretty good, <laughs> pretty set. So that sort of creates a limited utility for him in terms of, in terms of that particular skill set in his game. That said, this is a guy who, for me, does project to maybe be the sort of power play specialist that may allow him to hang around the NHL for a long, long time. There's going to be a guy on the other side tonight. I think he's coming. Uh, in Ryan Donato, who sort of has that similar profile. He's so good on the power play. Sam Gagne was a similar guy, right? Like sort of a uh, not quite a top nine guy on true talent, but so good five on four that you can play NHL games. That might be one of Linus Carlson's most straightforward routes to the league. And one thing that I'd expect from him, assuming he does begin the season in the American League, which I still think is overwhelmingly likely. Oh, yeah. uh, You know, I think his pace is going to be problematic as he adjusts. I think he's going to need to be far closer to NHL average in terms of his skating to be any sort of impact player in the NHL or, or even a guy who really gets a long look and gets games. But I think he's going to be in a, a day one dynamo, five on four in the American League especially. Like I, I would expect significant five on four production from him based on what I saw in, Pen- in Penticton and based on what he did last year in the SHL. So, you know, Getting him a look there, watch that closely because he's really creative. He's really smart at five on four. And one thing that happened in Penticton was I think he was playing with guys who didn't necessarily know to run everything through him. Right. You know, they didn't have that chemistry. But I, I would bet that Oliver Ekman Larson's gonna see him operate for a minute or two and be like, Okay, kid, you take the you take the wheel here. Let's go. <laughs> um that that would be my expectation and I I Carlson will impress you at five on four. Uh, that that's what I would say. Yeah. And I, in terms of what changed from though unpacking the Dolan thing let's not forget the Dolan scored like he was at a 30 point per 82 game pace for the Sharks last year you, you'll recall too when we were talking about his sort of glow up because a lot of those points came in the first part of the year oh and yeah there early, was early. and there was some chatter like oh look at Dolan look what he's doing yeah, top six guy that kind of thing yeah, yeah. and well I'm playing with Timo Meyer and and Thomas Tomash Hurdle and you'll recall like what what was the chatter on this program it was like he looks like a passenger to me perimeter oriented player like, I like him fine, but I don't think that's going to be, like, a huge loss for this team. I don't know where he'd play on this team. That wasn't sort of one of those losses that I was pounding the table, Frank Corrado style. Like, what have they done? <laughs> you know, that wasn't one of those. Especially as we, I think both of us like the forward group, but the one thing we feel is missing is, you know, that kind of two-way ability. And that's not Jonathan That's Dalton, not Jonathan right? They, they, He is not the missing piece of this forward group, uh, to say the least. More offensively calibrated passenger middle six guy who I think could still play in the league and be effective, particularly on one of those sort of bottom-end teams. Like, could he play and be helpful for the Arizona Coyotes? A hundred percent. He's at that level. They, they don't want him to help them. That's, <laughs> no. that's the bigger problem Now, <laughs> Right. Now, let's not overreact. Like, we didn't overreact when Dolan was, you know, uh, riding shotgun with Hurdle and Meyer and crushing it points-wise. 
nor should we react to the fact that Dolan's now in Europe and Linus Carlson's getting a top six shot in preseason. Like, come on. You know, at the end of the day, I think that was a trade that the Canucks made for bad reasons. I think it was a poor trade. I think Carlson was a poor target for them, right? This is a guy they traded for a year after he wasn't even on their draft list, right? Uh, but, but Linus Carlson has continued to level up his game. He's got a very unique scoring profile, and he's given himself a real shot to be an NHL prospect. So, you know, that's a that's a good story. It doesn't mean that it was a good trade. It just means that this player, sort of in in unlikely fashion, has addressed some of the weaknesses in his game, his, his fitness level and athletic ability in particular, um, has improved his pace, has improved his skating to the point where he's worth a look. And good for him. You know, it's a great story, but it's a great story for him. It's not a great story because <laughs> of that trade, and the jury is very much still out on all of it. Yeah, and for Carlson on the power play, you know, it's not an addition for his AHL role because he's going to figure there. Like that's He's pretty locked into a role on the power play in Abbotsford, but I think just to see, as you said, the talent, the skill there, what it could look like playing consistent power play minutes uh, in Abbotsford for Linus Carlson is going to be really interesting. And, you know, Hoaglander in the bumper spot is pretty fascinating for me as well because we talked about it off the top of the show, getting the chance to play in kind of a, a prototypical fourth line tonight with Joshua and Amon, that's one path for him to make uh, the opening night lineup, you know, in addition to just being a top nine skilled forward. And, okay, can you show that you – can you cl- stake a claim to a spot on the second power play unit, right? Because that power play unit's going to be crowded. There's no Horvat in the lineup tonight. Besser's injured. You get both of them back, then all of a sudden Kuzmenko and Tanner Pearson bump down to unit two. Can Niels Hoaglander do enough to say, no, 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 even when those guys are healthy, I have to see – I still have to be there. I think for Hoaglander – yeah, he's going to be in the lineup, but it's still all about continuing to prove those different ways that he can have value. And you just look at the high level of skill he has and the smarts and the intelligence. I don't see any reason why he can't be effective on the power play, why he can't be a valuable part of power play too. doesn't mean he's going to be guaranteed it because it is a crowded position for the Canucks, but I think this is another good opportunity. Okay, you're playing on the fourth, on a fourth-line type line at five-on-five, but you're still going to have this opportunity in the bumper spot uh, to go show some of that offensive skill and that you can play another role for us too. Well, also, Hoaglander played in the bumper when we got the first look at Vancouver's power play. Right, so Vancouver did a big power play practice on Tuesday where they rolled out absolutely 100% what we would expect to see from PP1 with Brock Besser out, right? Kuzmenko with the four obvious guys up high. And then on PP2, we saw a couple different looks. We saw Hoaglander at the bumper, and we saw him on the left flank. But he started at the bumper. He started at the bumper with, with Garland at the left circle, Pearson at the net front, Jack Rathbone on the right circle, and OEL up top. That speaks volumes to me, right? That means that in Jason King's office somewhere, written on the whiteboard, that's very probably his first choice options with the Canucks players available today. Could Ilya Mikhaev and Brock Besser's availability change that? Uh, yeah, 100%, especially mm-hmm. in Besser's case. Yeah. Besser's, Besser's probably going up onto PP1 unless Kuzmenko absolutely hits a grand slam in his absence. Um, and if he doesn't, he's coming back and he's playing on the half wall on PP2, probably subbing out for one of the guys on the wall, Yeah. Uh, whether it's Hoaglander or Rathbone. But right now, it seems like Hoaglander is, you know, not, not ensconced, but certainly has um, a little lead, a little lead to play, you know, that bumper spot. Um, you know, right now, like in terms of how the Canucks view their lineup on day one. Uh, their first choice power play group, or at least the first choice to see how they do on the power play group. So the fact that Hoaglander is staying at the bumper spot on that first, on that second power play unit, um, that's that that's what that's one of those decisions that resonates, particularly because it's consistent with what we saw on Tuesday. 
And we have a lot of first-choice power play guys in the lineup tonight, right, with Pedersen, Hughes, Miller, and then even you go down to the second unit and OEL and Garland are there. They all figure uh, to be heavily involved on, on that second unit in the regular season. The penalty kill is interesting to me as we kind of go through the special teams, though, because you think of who's going to be an obvious first-choice penalty killer for this team. Well, definitely Ilya Mikheyev. We all know that. I think definitely Curtis Lazar is going to be a fixture there. Uh, I would expect Bo Horvat to continue to get minutes. Jason Dickinson, maybe, if he's in the lineup. None of those guys are in the lineup tonight, right? So the the way the penalty killers are deployed, who gets paired with who, I think it's a great opportunity for the coaching staff to experiment a little bit. I think we're going to learn a lot. I think it's a great opportunity for the players as well, especially those guys on maybe the fringes of the lineup, like Dakota Joshua, uh, to step up and show that they have some utility. But that's a really a one that's really interesting to me because there are so many of the obvious choices to kill penalties who aren't going to be in the lineup tonight. It's, uh, it's kind of wide open. It's uh, A bunch of guys are going to have the chance to step up and, and show a little something there. Yeah, well, and, and that's what preseason's about, right? That's why, to me, I'm I'm okay with preseason content because <laughs> we're going to learn a lot today. You know, this is a big game for especially those three young Swedes. This is a big game this in September. This is a big game. It's a meaningful September <laughs> meaningful game. Meaningful game no, listen, in September. Listen, it is a big game from the perspective of those three young Swedes, right? Niels Amon, Niels Hoaglander, mm-hmm. and Linus Carlson can do an awful lot to impact – how many NHL games they play this year and yep. where exactly how many minutes they get in those games with big performances tonight. So it's not a big game in that it doesn't count a lick. It's but it is a big game for those three individually from a from a business perspective. It's a big right? game in our hearts. No, it's a big game for those guys. And and I would add for Dakota Joshua. Uh Amon in particular, and Joshua actually, to get a chance to do some penalty killing work, right? Just yep. anything you can do to kind of prove that part of your game uh, is up to par. That that's really big uh, for them, in particular. It's, it's not think. a it's not a big game like Dolphins Bengals. Let's put it that way. <laughs> the biggest, the biggest of games. <laughs> just waiting, just waiting for that Tua news so that the uh, spread goes down to three. Let's go. Let's oh boy. Go. Oh boy. Uh, Six fifty. Six fifty <laughs> is the Dunbar Lover text message inbox. That's your Dempko. Making his preseason debut, we expect to see at Rogers Arena tonight. And I believe, I believe it's going to be Archer Silovs who's uh, backing him up, and we'll probably get into the game at some point as well. And that's you know a little bit interesting. I don't, like Archer Silovs has been you know one of the the talks of training camp so far. I don't think we're going to see him shoot up the depth chart necessarily, given his age and all of that, and and what the the, the likely plan is for him. But I do think it's interesting that. Uh, or at least a little bit interesting, that we're not seeing either of Spencer Martin or Colin Delia in the game tonight as the kind of backup goaltending battle continues to evolve. You know, Demko is one of those guys where uh, if he lets in five goals tonight, I'm not going to care one lick. He's just going through his process. He's getting warmed up, all of that. But, yeah, another chance to potentially watch Archer Silovs in action. And uh, the the goaltending situation, not with these two guys in particular, because, again, Demko is so reliable. Silovs is impressing, but probably doesn't figure to be a major factor at the NHL level this year. But I do think it's a little interesting. I know you wrote about it at the Athletic Drancer, the kind of battle for the backup spot that's developing uh, as well. I mean, Seelovs has got to go to the A, right? Oh, yeah. There's no chance. No chance. No chance. But, I mean, you know, I think there's a sense that he may have been the second-best goaltender at camp. I don't <laughs> think that. I know that. There's a sense, organizationally, that he's been the second-best goaltender behind Thatcher Demko 
to this point at training camp. Yeah, and I think this is probably a little bit of a reward for that, oh, right? Oh, for you sure. Another but, game, yeah. Well, is, but is he going to play? Wouldn't shock me if he gets a period at uh, the end. No. You think Demko, Demko's going the whole way? Demko goes the whole way. This is a this is a sort of training ground game for Demko. This is like a you know you're not going to get many right, but here like there might he's be only one it. more after this, one or of. two. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would think three. Right, three seems about feels about right uh, with maybe Delia. But yeah, I mean, look, it's still a reward to be backing up in the NHL anytime you get a chance to put on that jersey. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I they rinsed him pretty hard. He got a lot of work in I would I would be surprised if he's yeah, fair enough if he's playing a period I would expect Demko to go the, go the whole way just based on what we saw at morning skate uh, but yeah there's a sense that he's been the second best goalie at, at camp and do uh, do I think that that's going to impact anything in terms of uh, a decision for the Canucks when they set their final roster no no I don't they need to this guy's barely played in the last three years like he needs to play 40 AHL games that's you know that's it, it barely ma- even matters how he plays. Just play 40 AHL games. He's, you know, bounced around between, what, the ECHL yeah. and the NHL and the he AHL? Played, like, last year he played 10 games in the AHL and 10 games in the ECHL. And the year before. And the year before, I believe, he Two? played one game. One game the in the Manitoba Moose. Right. And then he's got some international games in there, yeah. right? He played, he crushed the World Championships. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this guy needs games. Like, he just needs reps. And, but, but I think long-term, Long term, make no mistake, right? He has further cemented himself as the apple of uh, the Canucks goalie department's eye, right? He is the star pupil. He is the his the pupil elect, um, and he's going to get a long look. He's going to get a long look in Abbotsford, and down the line, he's going to get a long look to make the team. Uh, we have a commenter asking, "Where is Di Pietro?" Working with the second group, uh, you know, I think they liked what they saw from him and Whistler, but I mean, make no mistake, right? This is a relationship that's. Uh, at its end, mm-hmm. some in in some form or another, and with Silovs really leaving, no doubt, and two other guys on one way deals, you know, either the trade market or the ECHL beckons. Uh, yeah. It just is what it is. Uh, the Silovs thing is interesting, especially in comparison to Di Pietro. And I just think back at all of the different different paths of goaltending development we've seen from this organization and different outcomes. Because I look at Thatcher wow, Demko. that's a tactful way to yes. put it with but Di Pietro. I, but I look at Thatcher Demko, and that's like an incredibly just ideal archetypal example of goaltender development. Well, they constructed it right. Yeah. And then Di Pietro, it's completely the complete opposite. And, you know, they, and they could have constructed that right, too. They just didn't have the budget, and they didn't prioritize what budget they had to, you know, help him out. I mean, they... It's not all on the organization and that sometimes you're going to get dealt a bad hand in professional hockey. It's a really cruel industry. It's a really cruel league. But, yeah, I mean, they messed that up. But I think it's got to be front of mind with Silovs to, you know, as you said, construct it right with his development. Especially there, There's now. no reason to, to rush things. Whatever, Let him go to the A. If you think he's so great, let him go to the A and prove how great he is. Spend two years down there, right? You've got the cost certainty with Demko in net. You've made the bat well, look how many, on Spencer Martin. Look how many games Demko played in the A. Yeah. It helped. Yes. And you he'll, know? he'll he'll talk about that. He'll admit, of course, that it helped, right? It also so, helped Markstrom, right? Like, it also helped Corey Schneider. I mean, this team has a pretty good track record at this point, developing goaltenders, and most of that development has happened in the American League. For all that this team has struggled to develop skaters in the American League, they've done a really good job in net. Yeah. So Silovs is sort of the next up, and he's their star pupil, and he needs to be managed the right way. They've also got two goalies on one-way deals. Like, they've got two goalies on one-way... You know, 
put him in the A. It's fine. It, it's all – everything's contingent on you know, how Spencer Martin does, how Colin Dealey adjusts to a new organization. But just on paper, it looks like an ideal setup for Arthur Silas, right? Like, yeah, You've absolutely. got the veteran guy to, to, to share the crease with in Abbotsford. You're not going to be well, overworked, but you're going to get your share of games, all that. And if injuries hit us at the NHL level, you're going to stay in Abbotsford. Yeah, that guy's you're, going up, yeah, not you. You're going to have – your and, and play every day when that happens. So, yeah, I mean – Silov's not going to threaten to make this team. That's what the that's good news. <laughs> that's good news. But I do think there's now some doubt with Martin and Delia, considering how Boudreaux talked about it yesterday, and the fact that both goalies have been practicing with the main group. Um, you know, I think the stakes are pretty high when we next see Spencer Martin, which I would expect on Saturday. Uh, to see him deliver the sort of performance that leaves no doubt. Uh, this text comes in is rinsed. This week's buzzword replacing level up. We used rinsed all rinsed the time. Is on always this show. my buzzword, isn't it? Yeah, you do love it. I love it, and and I use it a lot. And people are always confused by it, and that's why I use it a lot. It engenders discussion. You, yeah, there's nothing. <laughs> one of the keys of good communication: perfect, purposely yeah. confusing people. <laughs> Well, what, what's the word I can use here that will really well, leave people scratching their heads? Well, that's why I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, rinsed is when players after a practice and or morning skate, actually it's really after a morning skate, stay on to do additional work, uh, usually getting skated pretty hard with some bag skate elements while also making sure that the goaltender, the backup goaltender, whoever's not playing, gets work. It's a customary workout that NHL teams do, and it indicates with significant clarity who is not playing that night a guy who's a you know if you're if there's a guy who's a game time decision for example you probably won't rinse either your extra forward or one of your extra defensemen to make sure that they're fresh in the event that they're called on to play so it's a it's a drill that exhausts a guy to the point where they're not an ideal option to play that night and it tells us an awful lot about the lineup I'll be using it all season. It's an all the time Drance buzzword. It's yeah, not it's, a it's not a just today it's not or just seasonal. this week thing. It's, yeah, it's no. not seasonal. It's, it's all, all year. the time. Uh six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll continue to try to connect with a Canucks player here on game day at Rogers Arena, plus expecting some audio from Bruce Boudreaux at some point as well. But up next, she covers tonight's opponent uh for Root Sports Northwest. She is Allison Lucan, one of the uh one of the best NHL analysts in the game for my money. She will join us next to talk a little bit about the Seattle crack, and it is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, live at Rogers Arena. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance on a Canucks game day. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Going to be joined momentarily by Allison Lucan from uh, Root Sports Northwest, who covers the Kraken. But first, Drance. Errors and omissions from me. I misread it. Silov's mm. playing the third mm. period per Bruce Boudreaux. So I misread, I misread the extent of the rinse. <laughs> was there uh, was there I'm anybody gonna... else on the show who said that might have been a possibility? Yeah, yeah, tonight? you nailed it, nailed it. <laughs> Score one for Jamie Dodd, and yes. also Bruce Boudreaux says his hope is that Mikhaev skates next week. So we've gone from week out week? forever to skating <laughs> to day to day to skating tomorrow yeah. to skating, skating next, next week. week. Just in the span of this morning, 
Once again, once again, I ask that you heed my words about being careful with hockey injuries, particularly at this time of year. No good, no good can come from trying to drill down and nail the timeline in the public sphere. Uh, it is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We are now very pleased to be joined uh, by our next guest. She covers the Kraken for Root Sports Northwest. Allison Lucan joins the show. Allison, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? Hello, gents. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm doing well. Yeah, it's our pleasure, and you know we're a we're a very vibes based show. We always do the vibe check around the Canucks. So I got to ask you to start the to start things off here. What are the vibes around the Seattle Kraken like going into year two for the franchise? I'm very much here for this theme. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I think that the vibes right now um, in Seattle are definitely positive. I mean, this is a club that is coming off of in my opinion, one of the better off-seasons around the league. Um, they are still in a development mode, of course. Uh, this isn't necessarily a team that's just like trying to capitalize on their window just yet, but they seem to be doing things the right way. Um, they've won their first two preseason games. Of course, we have that in the preseason context. Um, but I think it's just a really optimistic time around the organization. What's kind of the biggest question? And I mean, I know sometimes it can be hard to, you know, separate the signal from the noise in preseason. What's real? What will translate? What won't? But what's kind of your biggest question that you're you're curious about and hoping to learn more about the Kraken as, as we get closer to the regular season? Yeah, I mean, I think the the easy one, of course, is goaltending, right? I mean, Philip Grubauer did <laughs> oh, not have did not have his strongest season last year, and you know, mathematically, um, it would seem unlikely that that would happen. It would seem likely that he does get better, but there's now, of course, the question of who is second in net because Chris Drieger is out till at least December, probably spring with a knee injury. So, you know, they're looking at who's, who's going to be back there. Is it Martin Jones? Is it Joey Decord? Who's going to step up and how will they perform? That's the obvious one. But I think for me, um, kind of the sneaky one is the defense. That was this team's calling card last year. And there's been some changes back there, there this year. So will it be as solid as it was last season? Allison. What's here. Up? <laughs> just want to ask you about this team's defense. Are they going to be able to move the puck well enough, you think, in this division? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's it's really interesting to see what they're playing with in terms of pairs. And, and they've got some of the young talent, some of the pipeline talent, right, I mm. think is going to be that kind of new look defender that we're seeing in the league. But this group right now is a little bit more staunch, a little bit more classical. Um, you have a Vince Dunn who has that offensive upside. They've been looking at him um, with Adam Larson, which is who he was playing with mostly at the end of last season. And that seemed to work, that balance, right, of the stay-at-home guy with the guy who's going to take a little bit more risk. Um, but it's going to be curious. They worked a ton on transitional play yesterday in practice. It's something Dave Haxtell wants to see improve and get quicker. Um, so, again, that, that's one of the underlying reasons I'm, I'm looking at that decor a little bit more than maybe others are. Yeah, and in this division, like the Kings, even the Ducks, um, you know, Calgary with the addition of Mackenzie Weger, like the teams that are going to win games feel like they're going to get north-south really fast. It feels like the Canucks and the Kraken may be a little bit differently constructed. How, how decisive do you expect that to be in this division in particular? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be huge. And I think, you know, it's, this is one of the reasons why I think we hear when, when people are talking about what Andre, Andre Burakovsky is going to bring to the team, they talk about his transitional play. Um, and again, you know, yesterday this was a big focus. And what Dave Haxtell said is that his team was overthinking it. He wants a little bit more read and react. And I think this goes to what we were just talking about is, is what kind of player is out there on the ice as part of that transitional game. 
but you've got some units coming together that are really fast. Um, Maddie Beneers is, is looking really strong. And so maybe it's going to be not so much on the defenders again, in terms of what we're seeing more around the league. And there's going to be a lot more support coming from the forwards to get that puck into the attack zone. Yeah. And we've seen Maddie Beneers just toward the end of last season be exciting. We haven't seen Shane Wright yet. Uh, we're seeing him tonight in Vancouver and I'm thrilled about it. What have you noticed from him to this point in training camp? How excited should we be? Give us a preview of what to expect this evening. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because Maddie is, you know, he's he's got the flash, right? And good for him. It's, it's a great strength in his game. He makes you notice him with his play. And Shane Wright is just one of those players who's going to be solid in every area. If you watch him in isolation, he's doing the right things. He's maintaining possession. He's using his size. But this is a good player, but not a flashy player. So I think we have to remember that when we watch him, that the, the quality of play is coming in different ways. They've mm. got him um, in practice, at least, playing between Jaden Schwartz and Jordan Eberle. That's not the line combination we'll likely see tonight. Um, but that speaks to what they're expecting of the player. And both of those wingers have spoken well of, of how he's sustaining play with them. So again, don't look for flash, don't look for pop necessarily, but just look for an all-around really strong quality guy who, who is making a case to be on the opening night roster. Well, and it's funny, Allison, because that, that lack of flash might be why he ended up in Seattle, right? We all thought he was going right. to go first overall for an awful long time, and then you know all of a sudden he's there at fourth overall for Seattle. And as you said, despite the lack of flash, just plays an incredibly solid game. Do you anticipate him sticking with the Kraken for, uh, for an extended run here in his, in his rookie season? Yeah, you know, I, I think that that is, is what the organization is eyeing. And like I said, they've given him no reason to think otherwise. Um, they've moved him around in the lineup. You know, Hacksaw, like every coach right now, is looking at what different combinations will work. They're looking to see where he best suits. Um, they've, got, they've got him on one of the power play units, too. So the indications are strong that this is a player they want to have start in the NHL. We all know that every rookie's first year can be a very unique and different path. Ups and downs are normal, but but signs point to yes, opening night roster. Hey, Allison, unfortunately, we're just a little pressed for time here, so we are going to have to let you go, but we really do appreciate the time. Hopefully, we'll be able to have you on again soon for uh, for a bit of a longer conversation. Thanks very much. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. That is Allison Lucan, who covers uh, the Seattle Kraken for Root Sports Northwest, and we are going to transition from chatting with Allison about uh, the Canucks opponent tonight. We're going to welcome on Canucks defenseman Jack Rathbone uh, onto Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jack, thank th thanks very much for making some time for us uh, on a game day. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it it's our pleasure, and, you know, this uh, – We've talked to a lot of the players about kind of the first training camp under Bruce Boudreau uh, this year. Obviously, he came in and, and joined the team midseason last year. You didn't really get much of a chance to be around Bruce Boudreau last season. So what, what's it been like to kind of get some exposure and uh, and go through a Bruce Boudreau training camp in preseason so far? Yeah, it's been good um, and really positive. Uh, and there's obviously a good vibe around the locker room just in terms of coming into the year. Um the uh, crowd turnout for the first exhibition game was fun, too. Obviously, to play in front of a crowd like that was great. Um, so, the, uh, the city's excited, too. Jack, you're playing the right side uh, on that 1-3-1, one -one, right? In, in a traditional forward spot, I suppose. Um, what are you seeing there? Um, you only got to look at it in practice on Tuesday. Haven't really done that in a game yet, as far as I, I can tell. I don't remember if you did toward the uh, beginning of last season. What do you like about that spot? What What are some of the things that are an adjustment for you? Uh, yeah, I think I'm 
Uh, there's a couple guys in the room that have played there before. Um, just talking to them, trying to pick their brain just about what uh, what they see from that from that spot. But um, OEL has been helping me out a ton. I think it's just kind of our unit's a little bit more of a shot mentality. Um, mm-hmm. So anything we can get to the net um, with the with the time we have out there. So I uh, think that's kind of our mentality going into tonight, and uh, we'll see. What's the best piece of advice you've gotten from uh, from one of those guys who've played the flanks a fair bit? I think just kind of, uh, it's more so picking their brain just about if uh, if a puck comes on a rim, what are your outs? If a puck right. comes from OEL, it's like kind of try and simplify it in terms of either give it back or uh, pound it from there. So we'll, uh, I think it's also something that'll come with time and more reps. So we'll see. Tonight you're lined up at least based on what we saw in drills with, with Kyle Burrows, but you've been... Uh, in lockstep with Luke Shen to this point in training camp. What's Shen like uh, in terms of being a partner in this type of environment where you're trying to make an impression, trying to make a team? It's awesome. Yeah, he's uh, he's helped me out a ton. Um, another guy that I'm kind of all ears, just anything he has to offer, I'm, I'm um, trying to soak it in. He's been, uh, helps me out big time on the ice just in terms of having a dialogue with him. Um and uh, I think we, we've had some good chemistry so far, so we'll see. Uh, we're in conversation with Canucks defenseman Jack Rathbone here live from Rogers Arena on a Canucks game day. And, you know, you were obviously a part of training camp uh, last season. Jack began the year with the big team, ended up spending most of your time uh, in Abbotsford, dealt with some injuries and all of that. What did you learn for, through the whole process of last season that you're bringing with you to, to training camp and preseason this time around? Yeah, I think outside of just a little bit more experience, I think it's um, a little bit more out of confidence. I think I learned a lot last year. Um, just with uh, – it definitely was a little bit of stop and go. Um, but the amount of time I spent up and down, and, and I think I took some different things from the, the two different spots. So um, trying to bring that to camp and um, hopefully make an impact. Is it uh, – how nice is it to have uh, Trent Call, who, who coached you in Abbotsford last year up here with uh, with the big team now? Yeah, it's huge. Um, having a relationship with Cully, obviously, for the last two years, actually, just because I was able to spend some time in Utica with him. Um, he uh very easy guy to talk to, very knowledgeable about the game. So um, another another uh, a guy to lean on just in terms of um, if I have any questions or um, really welcoming to, like I said, just having a dialogue, just what am I seeing, what is he seeing, um, just in terms of what I what I can do to make adjustments um, to make this transition as seamless as possible. What kind of message have you got from the coaching staff here, Jack? As you you know look to carve out a, a spot on the roster and a role in the lineup this year. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's more so just um, them giving me a little uh, tips and tricks in terms of what it takes to be a consistent NHL defenseman. Um, uh, I wouldn't say I've gotten too much from them just in terms of outside of the normal coaching that they do. Um, I think it's more so just me trying to every day come to the rink um, with the mindset of uh, trying to make this team. So this is obviously kind of the, the dog days of training camp just in terms of we're right in the thick of it. So um, it's uh, every day and every opportunity you get to play, whether it's an exhibition game like tonight or even just a practice day, I think if you can make an impression um, – in any way you can, that's that's a positive. Jack, I don't remember the exact number, but you played a wash of exhibition games last season. Bruce Boudreaux indicated that you're <laughs> likely to do so uh, as well over the next two weeks. Um, 
what's that like in terms of preparation? Do you just try and get into mid-season mode as quickly as possible, knowing that you're going to be uh, regularly called on to, to play in some of these games? Yeah, yeah. I think that was kind of the uh, the mentality last year too, so nothing's really changed. Um, I think it's kind of just expect to be in the lineup and then um, – you're you're prepared if it, if it is a go and if not then um you don't really have to get ready so it's uh it's been uh it's been good so far um you know and you never know how many opportunities you're going to get so hopefully take advantage of all all of them that I do get and uh I think any I, I mean I say it a lot but anytime you get to pull on an NHL jersey I don't think it's a bad day so it's uh I'm I'm excited for whatever whatever games I do get into and Jack, watching you at Whistler uh, felt like your focus on just bringing that competitive intensity to the defensive side of the puck was evident every time you stepped on the ice. Clearly, mm-hmm. caught the attention of management too. How, how do you bring that mindset? And did you specifically sort of come into camp knowing that it was kind of how you competed away from the puck that might be, you know, what earned you a job? Yeah, I think uh, that's just kind of like I said earlier, just in terms of what it takes to be um, a consistent NHL defenseman, I think that's obviously a huge, huge piece of it um, is your, your play away from the puck. Um, I think, uh, I, I think I've learned a lot of that from just the guys in the room that we already have here. Um, we've got a really solid decor and just guys that are really willing to lend a hand in terms of stuff like that. So um, I've definitely been picking it up over the course of uh, the last two years and, um, I think I've taken some real steps there, and obviously it's it's uh, it's something that you work on every day. So um, we'll 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 keep doing it. Jack, we really appreciate the time on a game day. We'll let you get back to it. Uh, best of luck tonight. Thank you. Appreciate it. That is Canucks defenseman Jack Rathbone, who will be on the ice here at Rogers Arena against the Kraken. Again, skating with uh, Kyle Burrows today in warm-up, so moving away from that Luke-Shen pairing. But some good insight uh, from Jack Rathbone into you know what his process has been like, what training camp has been like so far uh, for Jack Rathbone. And I thought it was interesting. You know, you could really sense the how um, – how appreciative he is to have, you know, a coach he's very, very familiar with in Trent Cole because, of course, Jack Rathbun wasn't around the team when Bruce Boudreaux uh, came in last year, right? So he didn't really get a chance to build that relationship. Having Trent Cole in, who was his coach in the AHL over the last couple of years, uh, obviously making a difference for Jack Rathbun. And, you know, my takeaway from that interview, Drancer, is just a guy who has a very pretty pretty clear idea of exactly what he needs to do, how he needs to prepare, how he needs to perform uh, to, to carve out a spot on this team at this point in his career. They need him. They need him, like, straight up. They just need this guy to play minutes for them. They need his speed. They need his creativity. They need, you know, he's got the hunger in the belly to do the right things defensively, but what they need is that, you know, they need his feet and they need his puck moving on that back end. I think he's made a very strong case already. He's obviously got some race to run here yet, but he's going to do it. They need him. They just need, There's just no way around it. They need what he can bring to this defense core. If you and I are going to be sitting here at the end of the regular season and talking about the Canucks are going into a playoff series and part of the reason is because the defense outperformed our expectations, like the the most plausible scenario to that coming true is Jack Rathbone exceeded expectations. Jack Rathbone propelled that improvement from the defense, right? That's that's where the upside is on this blue line, you know? And to be clear, it doesn't need to be Jack Rathbone's a star now and he had 40 points and and played top four minutes. It's just Jack Rathbone was a big part of what allowed this team to punch above their weight 
as you know as a group because he was able to stick in the lineup because he was able to do enough and because he was able to add some vertical push from the back end like they just need it it can't just be Quinn Hughes and you can't just win playing punt and hunt all the time and relying on your forecheck especially in a division where you're going to face the Flames, the Kings, the Ducks, on a very regular basis, all of whom can move the puck north-south with ease, right? The Oilers do it well, too. They get, they get some help from a pretty fast forward, but they can move the puck north-south, too. And by the way, the the Vegas Golden yeah, Knights can as well. Shea Theodore and-, <laughs> and that's And that's an area that Cassidy teams excel at, right? Like, they excel in the neutral zone. So, you know, Vancouver's going to need to be able to keep up north-south. I don't know how they do it without Jack Rathbone in the lineup on an everyday basis. He's going to be there. He's going to be there. In my view, he's going to be there. And and it's not that he's there already. There's road to run here. But he's going to be there also because of, you know, the clear focus, the clear understanding of what he needs to do to, to win this job because of his hockey IQ in, in every respect. And you could hear it over the course of that chat. Like, that part is evident the moment you chat with Jack Rath. He's locked in. And he's, you know, he's been through enough. NHL experience. I know not in terms of game, like volume of games, but it's not as if he's never stepped on the ice in an NHL game. Right? Or he's been, been around. He's been at training camps. He's, he's been, been around. He's yeah. He's he he's at that stage in his career where it's not really a mystery anymore. Like yeah, you got to prove that you can do it night in, night out over 82 games and maybe play a little bit of a bigger role on the ice or anything. But you know what? He's 23 now, right? He's older than Quinn Hughes. <laughs> you know, he's he's in that spot where okay, I know what the deal is here. I'm gonna come out. I'm gonna prove. Uh, that this is where I belong. Well, and, the, and that ups the stakes here, too, because at some point, you know, you become that mature prospect. Like, at some point, it's do-or-die time to, to either be establish yourself as an everyday guy or, you know, you, you can still have a lengthy NHL career, but you're more likely to have it as a, as a Kevin Connaughton type. You know, like, as one of those guys who's, you know, uh, the seventh guy on a team and, and sort of moves about and maybe you have a couple big seasons, but for the most part, you know, you're, you're a journeyman. Uh, Jack Rathbone has the potential, the skill to be more than that. But if it's going to happen for him, it's got to happen now. It, it looks like it looks like he's a guy who's very well aware of the stakes for himself, and he's taken full advantage of the opportunity in the first week. We'll see if that continues when he gets in the lineup tonight and several more times before <laughs> before the preseason. In all ends. likelihood, in oh, all yeah. likelihood, uh, six fifty six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, this question came in on Twitter, though. You can hit us up on Twitter always at Jamie Dot at Thomas Drance or six fifty six fifty. This one comes Te- in. Text in though, because I don't see my mentions anymore. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> I wonder what could have prompted that change, uh, but that is smart. Nobody should look at their mentions on Twitter. Um, yep. This one says, uh, "Dear Canucks, our Pud Colson kicked butt versus Calgary, then gets no consideration." for the power play or the penalty kill uh, doesn't even get mentioned in Drancer's athletic reports. What on earth is going on? I don't see Pod Colson's absence from the lineup tonight as a slight on the player. Just the opposite. What, what, what is, like, they know what Pod Colson is. He's really good. He's going to be an important part of the team. Now, maybe there's ways to integrate him more into, into special teams and all that, but I don't think they're not getting a longer look at Pod Colson because of any questions they have. It's just, yeah, he's awesome. He's a good player. We're going to put him in key positions. He's going to be a part of our top nine. We kind of know what we have in him in this, at this point, even as you want to see him take those next steps and that growth. It's just, yeah, his place in the lineup is pretty secured, I think, Drancer. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, it, it was a surprise to me that he wasn't used on PP2, but he was used in penalty kill practice mm-hmm. uh, on Wednesday. So the Canucks really drilled down on the power play on Tuesday and Pod Colson wasn't among the players used on the first or the second power play unit. I found that surprising. I thought he had 
a pretty good run on Power Play 2 toward the end of last year. I think it's evident how his skill set would translate, how that shot would work, how his ability to retrieve pucks would work uh, in five-on-four situations. I was a little surprised that he was, you know, not snubbed, but overlooked in that spot. I do think part of that was that he's not he was not scheduled to play tonight as well, right? I think maybe that factored in a little bit to it. But Presumably, but yeah. they, I mean, they, they're not using the same power play to, like, no, yeah. neither group that they used is the group we're seeing tonight, so... Um, I you know I I am gonna fade that take. But that said, I faded <laughs> I faded your Silovs is gonna you play tonight take, and you were right. So, but I'm gonna fade that take. Uh, that said, he was part of the penalty kill on Wednesday, and we saw him move up and play penalty killing minutes in the very first preseason game this club played after Ilya Mikhaev left with injury. Um, you know, tells you something about how the coaching staff views his reliability and his two way intelligence. And you know, to me, that speaks. Volumes. All of that said, like, what can you expect offensively from a guy who's likely to play on your third line and not play power, power play? play? I mean, 30 points. 30 points would be high end for a guy who's not being used in those situations at all, uh, who's playing a little further down the lineup, like 30, 35 points. So, you know, that would tap the brakes, I guess, a little bit on, like, is Vasily Podkolzin a fantasy breakout candidate, for example, right? I still think he can have a huge impact on this team. Yeah, I think he can be, like, a, a, a help-you-win-games breakout candidate. Totally, But it's totally. not going to be a fantasy breakout candidate. It might not show up on the back of a hockey card, and that sort of f- does feel like where he's being telegraphed um, to this point in the preseason again. All of that can change with one injury or one big performance. Yeah, but as we've seen again, you know, the power play is a lot more crowded, at least at least with having guys locked in who are going to play there than the penalty kill is, right? And there's there's options on the penalty kill, but I think it's also just much more fluid. So it makes sense that if you're going to kind of choose a spot on special teams where Pod Colson might have more of an impact, might get more of a look, I would lean towards penalty kill just because it's so crowded in front of him uh, on the power play. 650-650 again is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Uh, we're about to go into the final segment of the show here. We'll hear a little bit from Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, as well, his game day thoughts ahead of the game against the crack. And you can always get your questions in as well, 650-650. And as a reminder, we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.next. Up next, you'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux. We'll take more of your questions as well. It's Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks, Jamie Dodd, and my co-host, Canucks Insider Thomas Grants, uh, here live at Rogers Arena. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Canucks versus Kraken tonight, 6.30, puck drop. Puck drop, excuse me. Pre-game coverage begins at 6 here on 650. Uh, Brendan Batchelor will, of course, of course, have the call uh, at 630 when the game gets on. Gets, gets going. Text in 650-650 with your thoughts and questions ahead of tonight's game. And, of course, Bruce Boudreaux, Canucks head coach, weighed in after the team skated here at Rogers Arena this morning. Here's what Bruce Boudreaux had to say. Well, he's a goal scorer. When you give him an opportunity in tight, I mean – uh, he puts the puck in the net, so uh, we thought, what better, you know, if, if you want to give people fair chances, you put them with the best, and so that's what we're doing. But your goaltending situation tonight, Bruce? Well, we got Demko playing, so uh, it's his first 
first kick at the can. So, I mean, it, again, it's preseason, but, I, you know, we all expect uh, Thatcher to be good, and I expect him to be good again. Phil DiGiuseppe had a good camp last year. Feels like he's having a pretty good camp this year and getting opportunities. What do you need to see from him tonight to kind of keep moving that forward? Well, I don't know what we need to see, but, I mean, he's he's playing like an NHL player, so, I mean, we want, need that to be continued. And every game you play, the competition usually in training camp gets a little bit tougher. So, I mean, as long as he continues to improve, then uh, we're going to give him every chance in the book. Well, I don't know how much easing he's been, uh, you know, I mean, he's been out on the ice. Like when Ian goes out with them, I mean, that's a long time and he works very hard and uh, he's anxious to get back. He's in tremendous shape, so uh, he feels great. So, I mean, and I'm not a goaltending expert. I just know he stops a lot of pucks and we'd like him to continue to do so. He's looked good to you in camp. Yes, yeah. Pardon me? How much will he play tonight? I think it depends on him, but he's scheduled for two periods. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, good or bad, I mean, we can make adjustments if we have to. Okay, we understand there might have been a, a bit of a scare, but it seems like the, the word is positive now and that he won't be out too long. Who's that? Mikhail. Uh, we're hoping. That's, you know, I mean, uh, by all accounts, I mean, uh, he's hopefully skating next week. On the goaltending thing, you mentioned yesterday that it's, it's not – Well, he's pushing Martin. I mean, I think look, we got some good goaltenders in this organization. I mean, uh, uh, Delia's played good, Seeloff's played good, um, Di Pietro's, uh, you know, been right there working hard, and nobody's giving an inch. So, I mean, it's uh, uh, I think everybody's pushing for that, you know, sees that hey, this could be. Uh, I could be the backup, and they're all pushing hard for it. So most of them are going to get uh, another chance. You know, I mean, Seeloff's uh, is scheduled to play today. I think uh, uh, Martin and Delia are going in Seattle. Um, so, I mean, uh, everybody's getting opportunities. Bruce, I know he's not scheduled to play today, but any further clarity on Travis Dermott? And just sort of no, I haven't. Honest, honestly, I haven't even got any uh, more clarity on him today. Uh, uh, from yesterday, he's feeling a lot better, so I assume that it's going to come sooner than later. Is Tyler Myers dealing with something ongoing? Just that he's tall. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. No, he's not. Like, there's all those other guys are up at uh, um, uh, UBC practicing today. That's you know, I mean, we only brought the game group, and we wanted two extra defensemen um, that. Uh, that weren't playing to make eight to make because eight D makes it a lot easier in, in any kind of practice you have. But we'd rather have uh, Tyler uh, in a, in a full practice than a twenty minute job. Does it look to you when you watch Carlson that, that here's a guy who's played pro for a few years against Maine? Does he look closer well, to NHL ready than some of these guys? Well, I don't know if he looks closer to like I'm not comparing it to closer to NHL ready. I'm close. I'm comparing it to the the first day at rookie camp. His pace has been picking up, and so that's what I'm looking at to see if his pace uh, keeps increasing to get to be an NHL pace. With him, you guys have been together a week now. How are you feeling about sort of how things are coming together in terms of your plan? It seems like we haven't played forever, and. Uh, um, 
the plan, I think, is working. I think other than yesterday's practice and uh, not even in continue counting the games, uh, uh, the, that I thought they've been working really hard. They've done the, done great. I think yesterday's practice, the ice wasn't very good and it sort of threw everybody off a little bit. But, um, you know, I think as the, the preseason keeps moving on, we're, we're hoping to improve games. Like, there's not two games anymore. I mean, every game... Uh, we're hoping to get better and better, and the game group is is together almost uh, on every practice. So I mean, uh, we're hoping that you know, system-wise, power play, penalty killing, will all you know in another ten days be be where it should be to start the season. And there's not a lot of games off that are days off in the next week. You've got all your games now. It feels like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had our three days off there, and it's now it's every second day basically. Regarding Holtlander, I know many believe that a top-nine guy in order to make the team. Uh, it looks like you've got him kind of in a, what could look like a, a fourth line. Can you talk a bit about giving him opportunities in, in other areas to see what he can do? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we'll be using him on the power play tonight, and and we're going to, we're like, we know he's got tons of energy, and he doesn't have to be a goal scorer uh, right off the bat. I mean, that's great. I mean, his for us, his mindset is is what can he do? Like, if he's not going to be a 30-goal scorer this year, and he may be still, I don't know. But, I mean, what, what kind of energy can he bring on the fourth line? Uh, uh, where does the fit on the third line go? I mean, those are the kind of things. But I've seen a lot of teams have, a, as their fourth unit, a, a real high energy that makes it tough for other teams to play against them. And if he's that situation, then I think we got a plus as well. Bruce, you've, you've run Quinn on that right side through camp. But now this is game action tonight. What what are you looking for from him just on that side? Well, we'll see him one more time, uh, at least on the right side. I mean, uh, uh, he's getting really comfortable with it. He, he moves to the middle and gets his shot away quicker from there. Uh, that's great. I mean, uh, uh, also interested more to see uh, on how Pullman reacts, and probably he'll be playing all the games. It's going to be more of an indication whether... Quinn plays the right side or not. Do you think at some point, if you have OEL and Quinn together, we might just see them swap and try OEL on the right and Quinn on the left? We could. I mean, but right now, I mean, uh, uh, I think they're both capable. Look, it's, 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 uh, it's not that it's, I'm sure it is difficult, but for, you know, NHL talented players as much as those guys, I'm sure they've had to play their offsides during their career, and I think the adjustment wouldn't be that difficult. One more sort of Carlson related. How, how common is it in your experience? We saw it here with the Sedins. How common is it for guys that you coach to get faster, like not at 17 or 18 or 19, but 22 years old, 23 years old, 24 years old? I, I see it when I coached in the American League. I saw it all the time. When I'd go from the American League to the, the National League, they, they play as fast as the, the pace of the game is it's the same as you if you're a fast skater sometimes in the, in the nhl and you get sent down you're about two weeks ahead of everybody else but in about two weeks your pace comes right down uh in accordance with the american league so i mean that's what i'm hoping that once he sees the pace faster that he can pick up that pace that kuzmenko picks up that pace and and then that's uh, then you'll see if they can if they can do it 
Marcus Boudreaux speaking to the media before they face the Seattle Kraken tonight. Some interesting thoughts there. You know, talking a little bit about uh, Linus Carlson, Niels Hoaglander, echoing some of the things we said earlier <laughs> in the show. Throwing Kuzmenko's pace under the bus for no reason? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, that was an unprompted, like, yeah, I'm hoping both of these guys, you know, those th- those have been concerns that I've sort of voiced at, at training camp, but I thought bringing Kuzmenko up unprompted there is telling mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, one area that may make his adjustment a little bit sharper, right? A little bit slower. And that's sort of consistent with what I've been talking about since we saw him up at Whistler. Like, the skills are through the roof, and I think he's going to be a really good player. But I don't know that he's going to hit the ground running as a top six guy day one. I think there might be a, a bit of a, a curve there, and, and pace was sort of one of the things I cited, uh, protecting the puck being the other and, and then defensive reads. Linus Carlson's pace... Yeah, has also looked to me to be a, a tough part of his game. It's to, it's been more noticeable for Carlson than Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko's oh, no, no, ahead of Carlson. No, no, no yeah. question. Yeah. No question. But but in both cases, it's it's present. It's just that you know Kuzmenko. I don't think the pace is going to hold him back. Right. I think it's going to be something that you know he has an eyes wide open moment and has to kind of adjust to. With Carlson, I think it might be something where you know he's going to need to improve to play NHL games. Right. The totally different degree of challenge for those two guys. I also thought the commentary on Quinn Hughes playing the right side that, you know, his need to play him there might be contingent on Tucker Pullman's mm-hmm. health. I found fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, the idea that um, this might be the last time we see it, that like, in fact, you know, that that experiment may run its course more quickly than we'd anticipated. We've only seen him play the right side to this point in Connects training camp. And yet, I thought Boudreaux's answer there, oh, we'll see it at least one more game, uh, suggested that, hey, maybe there's an end date there. Um, Boudreaux continues to say that there's no update on Dermot, but you wonder if Dermot's availability sort of puts the Canucks in a position where they kind of need to play those guys on different pairs, um, you know, where you you could see something like Hughes-Pullman again, an experiment which I don't have a ton of appetite to recreate, to be totally honest, particularly because he worked with Shen, right? Like, it worked. Um OEL with Myers and Jack Rathbone with with Shanner Pullman. I mean, is that just going to be the easiest fit here in the event that Dermot has to miss any time? Um, yeah, probably, right? The answer to that is probably yes. So mm-hmm. uh, I thought there was some pretty loaded commentary, actually, from Boudreaux in terms of the composition of his defense uh, tonight and what that might mean in terms of the bigger picture for this club sort of bringing it all together, pulling it all together. And just to tie all of those together, because earlier in that presser, uh, we heard, you know, Bruder asked for an update on Dermot. He said he hasn't gotten an update yet today. But so the injury happened on Tuesday or the leaving practice happened on Tuesday. Bruce Boudreaux said he was feeling a lot better yesterday on Wednesday, still waiting for further update today, though. So maybe a little bit of positivity. Uh, it sounded like Bruce Boudreaux was optimistic, but we don't know exactly what Travis Dermott's status is going to be going forward. And I thought the other thing that stood out is, and this shouldn't be surprising because Tucker Pullman is coming off a serious injury. There were even questions throughout the summer, you know, what exactly would his status be going into training camp. But, you know, Bruce Boudreaux saying, not just does where Hughes play depend on Tucker Pullman, but we're probably going to get Pullman in all of these games, right? Like he is going to be on the ice. And I think partly that's just 
you know, to see how he responds to the rigors of playing every other day here uh, in the preseason. I think it's also just to see where his game is at, right? There's there's two questions. There's how is his health going to hold up, but also is his game at the level where they feel like they need to get him into the lineup, right? I think the, they're, they're trying to find answers to both of those questions, and I thought it was very interesting because that's not normally something you would think of a veteran uh, player like Tucker Pullman, right? That he's going to play every preseason, every exhibition game. But I think it speaks to those twin uncertainties right now that exist with Tucker Pullman. Absolutely, and it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to know now, right, how he's going to hold up uh, over the course of the season to get as much information as you can about the state of your defense core. I think that's very consistent with the long look they've taken um, at DeKaiser. I think that's consistent with what we know about them eyeing the waiver wire to understand their options on defense. So we'll see where this goes, but hopefully Pullman continues to respond well and continues to play well. And then hopefully, you know, I mean, hopefully if they decide that they're going to go lefty-righty, right, if they're going to have guys play their strong sides, you know, I just don't know why you'd go away from Shen Hughes. I get that Rathbone and Shen have looked good and have played together to this point, but Shen Hughes worked. Shen Hughes worked really well last season. I don't know that Pullman Hughes worked as well. Just stick with the guys that have some chemistry Well, especially there. if you have questions about Pullman's overall health, about how he's going to hold up, about his game, get him on the third pair. Start him on the third pair. Why are you yeah. going to put him with your best defenseman in Quinn Hughes, who's going to have to play major minutes, especially, as you said, when you have the Luke Shen option well, just and, sitting there? And the way that it'll probably play out anyway is that Shen and Pullman will play roughly the same amount, regardless of who takes line rushes on the second pair versus the third pair, because when you're trailing, right, when you're trailing, what you'll probably end up doing is bumping, um, you know, Quinn Hughes or OEL to the right side to play with Jack Rathbone, and you'll and you'll play uh, Shen, um, you know, and, and you'll play Myers with Hughes, right? That's what we always see that when the Canucks are trailing, mm-hmm. when they mm-hmm. need a goal, Hughes Myers becomes a primary option, right? And when you're and when you're leading and trying to hold a lead. Uh, you know, we could well end up seeing Hughes, Shen, and Pullman with OEL in Myers' stead, right? I mean, that's sort of how the bench will likely get shortened situationally anyway in, in a world where those are the six guys. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Hughes gets at least one more game yep. on the right side. We'll see what it looks like in preseason. And to be fair, we should say, you know, Bruce Boudreaux also spoke positively of how Quinn Hughes has adjusted there, right? Which is no surprise. Well, and we knew he was going to figure level. it out. Talked about his comfort level and also talked about – I think it was IMAC who asked, could you at any point try that pairing, but with OEL on the right side, and Boudreaux's answer is basically, they're both really good. Yeah, so yeah. if we do that, they'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, so that it, it, I thought that was noncommittal. I expected to see more OEL on the right side over the course of training camp. Um, but, you know, I think Hughes' desire to do it and his comfort level there probably proved decisive in the Canucks giving them uh, a ton of run there. Uh, so we we mentioned earlier in the show that it was uh, the first day of waivers around the NHL, and we have some text coming in. Elliot Friedman reporting a little bit earlier today. Uh, a familiar name among the first uh, batch of waivers in the NHL, Brad Hunt, who played with the Canucks, of course, last year. Local product, a very familiar with Bruce Boudreaux, is on waivers, and as the Canucks, you know, give – Danny DeKaiser a long look. Now there's maybe a little bit of a uh, question about Travis Dermott's status. All of a sudden, a familiar, dependable, left-handed defense option uh, is out there on the waiver wire, Drancer. Yeah, and I mean, you don't often see claims early. Yeah. And I wonder if Because people abs- are trying to figure out their own situation before they decide to do that, right? Correct. And 
teams are still taking a long look at their PTO guys and on and on, right? So we haven't seen many cuts of, like, real veteran players aside from Alex Galchenyuk. So, look, I would expect that the Avalanche themselves are putting Brad Hunt through waivers to avoid him getting claimed, right? Sometimes veteran players, like, there are teams that are philosophically opposed to using waivers in this manner to make sure guys get through because they think it hurts their chances of signing the next guy. Um, the Avs, however, may have a side agreement with Brad Hunt, and he's like, yeah, no problem. I'm Brad Hunt. You know, like he's just such a happy-go-lucky, positive person that, you know, if you were going to be able to do it with one guy, it might be him. <laughs> but veteran players don't like being on waivers early, right? Like, yeah. that's that's sort of uh, seen league-wide as an insult. There are teams that are philosophically opposed to doing it. The Canucks, of course, did it to great effect with Jacob Markstrom back in the day in his first season with this organization. They waived him the first day he was eligible to be waived. He cleared Six months later, everyone in the league was like, why did that guy clear? That makes no <laughs> sense. Uh, so, you know, that might be what's going on with a couple of the guys. But again, you have to be very well aligned with a player to be able to pull that off as a management group. And there are management groups around the league that simply philosophically are like, we'd rather replace this. We'd rather replace a guy we lose on waivers than have trouble in the future finding these depth guys because of because how we insulted because of how guy. we treated this guy. So. Yeah. Um, an interesting waiver day. Uh, I haven't seen the full list. I haven't seen like the um, classic uh, Renault Lavoie like nine tweet thread <laughs> with the with the full list. But uh, Richard Panic has a big contract. He's going to clear. Uh, there's a few other guys. Yeah. Brad uh, Brad Hunt is there. obviously the name that popped up. Obviously, you know because his, his ties here, connections. And Josh the Canucks, Jacobs, the Canucks potential Avalanche <laughs> defender. Josh Jacobs spend fifty percent of your FAB to get Josh <laughs> Jacobs off waivers. You told me that off air, and I thought you meant the actual running back <laughs> had hit the waiver wire in your fantasy league. No, no, no. I just. It's like, wait, what? Josh Jacobs, man, <laughs> underrated bell cow. Uh, or that, uh, or that, like Vegas had cut him or something, and I was like, wait, what? What's going on? What's <laughs> happening? He's on my team. I need to know this transfer. Don't yeah. scare me like that. Uh, anyways, final few minutes of the, the av- show. The here. Avalanche did not, however, wave Zamir White. No. Uh, <laughs> no, you need his you need his pass catching ability. This is truly this is truly ridiculous. I'm sorry. Uh, it's all right. That, that's how it goes sometimes, man. It's live radio. Uh, Six fifty, <laughs> six fifty is the Dunbar Lover text line. Final few minutes of the show here live. At Rogers Arena. Yeah, I thought the, the comments about the defense and the blue line uh, and, and the, the, the relationship between where Quinn Hughes plays and how Tucker Pullman performs, that was probably the standout, the kind of new information from Bruce Boudreaux. But there were some other uh, interesting comments that he had to say as well. Again, the health update, we mentioned a little bit earlier, but Myers not dealing with anything. He's skating at UBC today. Not dealing with anything other than being tall uh, was the actual quote from Bruce Boudreaux. He's skating at UBC today. He expects Mikheyev to hopefully start skating next week. No further update on Travis Dermott. That's where the uh, the injury report stands from Bruce Boudreaux. You know, we talked about the pace comments on Carlson, on Kuzmenko. I thought what he had to say about Niels Hoaglander was interesting as well. And Echoing my analysis, that they were giving him a shot to a second path to making this team, right? Well, and I thought there was an interesting parallel between something Bruce Boudreaux had to say last season uh, about Niels Hoaglander, right? Which was, if you're not going to score 30 goals in the NHL, you better do some other things really well, right? You better... Be very good defensively. You better bring that energy, bring that consistent forecheck, all of that. And that was kind of a pointed comment of they needed to see more from Niels Hoaglander. And tonight, they're giving him a chance to show that, right? And he said, look, Hoaglander has tons of energy. That can be really effective on a fourth liner. And I thought it was interesting that he specifically said he doesn't have to be a goal scorer right off the bat, right? And it's kind of the the flip side of his comments last year where last year it was a bit of a challenge 
right? This year it feels like laying out an opportunity, laying out a path for success early in the season where, hey, you have these attributes. We know you can be good at this. And here's your chance to prove it because, yeah, we're not counting on you to go out and score 30 goals. There's other ways you can help us. I thought that was a very interesting and very telling comment from Bruce Boudreau there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are, but the primary way that he's going to help you is driving offense. I mean, and that doesn't mean that he's going to be a 30-goal scorer because you need power play time to score 30 goals. Yeah. Like, you don't score 30 goals in this league without PP1 time these days. But Niels Hoaglander, I think, can drive some offense on a – you know, bottom, like a fourth line. And, you know, does he probably need slightly higher end line mates than Niels Oman and jo uh, Dakota Joshua to be productive doing that? Yeah, but that's not what I mean by driving offense. I mean, driving chances, driving, you know, um, like offensive zone pressure mm -hmm. time, mm -hmm. um, sort of the fundamentals. He'll be able to do that, I think, on a fourth line, but you might need to give him like Lazar well, and, you know, some guys who might actually threaten to score 10 goals you, if you're going to get You flip Amon for Lazar, and you go Lazar between Joshua and Hoaglander. Yeah, that's, a, that being a nice that's, fourth a, line. that's a fast fourth yeah. line with a little bit of toughness. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I like that look a fair bit, particularly if Vancouver's forwards are healthy. Um, you know, with the way the training camp is shaped up to this point, I, I would bet that Niels Hoaglander starts a little higher up the lineup. He's going to nail this test. He's totally well like he profiles almost perfectly for for the opportunity that they're giving him in my view um so i think it's going to be a really interesting look for him i think it's going to be an interesting look and a big opportunity for him to show that he doesn't just have to make this team in one role but in fact can help in other ways uh again 650 650 and uh, taze5 uh, on twitter hit us up uh, very interesting thoughts on pace it seems like the khl guys always need to improve in that area and i thought it was you know well it's a puck possession game on the big ice like you know it's a very different game, and this is bumper car hockey. This is a you know on the sh on the North American ice sheet, everything is faster, everything moves faster. You have to make decisions more quickly. You can do more damage winning battles as opposed to just connecting play. Um, you know, in the, in the KHL on the international ice sheet, like like soccer, you know, you can have like forty five pass team right, moves. Right, right. In the NHL game, three good passes and you're probably getting a scoring chance. Right. It's just a totally different method of winning games and playing games and that results in guys needing to move faster needing to skate faster needing to make faster decisions too so yeah i mean it's a natural adjustment that that people make but when we're talking about needing to make it like artemi panarin didn't need to adjust to the pace of the nhl right. he could he could move like you know he was a high-end skater kirill kaprizov didn't have to adjust pace no i wouldn't say so when he came over <laughs> like you know it's that I think it's more that there are uh, player types in the KHL whose skating is not as high end as your average NHL guy, but who can still succeed playing major roles over over in the KHL. There's like a higher volume of those types of guys than there are in the NHL. Like in the NHL, you can still succeed if you're not the best skater in the world, but like the Andrew Brunette player model, um, like very few of those. First of all, those guys are fading quickly. Right. Almost everyone in the league these days, especially the star players. I mean, go look at the skate. Go, go look at the top 10 scorers in the NHL and find a sub average skater. It's not possible. It's the league gets faster and faster every year. These guys are just so finely tuned at this point. It's outrageous. Uh, so, you know, it's just I think it's just harder if you're not a burner. 
uh, to manufacture offense in, in the NHL on this ice sheet than it is in the K. And I, and I did have to laugh at, at Boudreaux just towards the end there, saying, you know, well, you know, guys, when they go up from the AHL to the NHL, they just naturally, they can naturally match the pace. And I'm sure that happens in some occasions, but I do think that was also kind of just classic Bruce Boudreaux optimism, positivity, the vibes. Yeah, these guys are going to be able uh, to do it. Are because- you fading that take? <laughs> Uh, here's what I'll say. <laughs> I I can see I can I can see that for Kuzmenko. Like I think I think there's there's a level of player where you have the ability to do that. You know what I mean? Like your skating is good sure. enough that you can do that. But then there's a tier down where no, you can't do it. You actually have to work on your skating. I think Kuzmenko is in the tier that can easily adjust, or at least relatively easily adjust. I think Carlson is in kind of that next tier, probably, based on what I've seen so far. Anyways, that's going to do it for us today. People Show uh, with Bick and Randeep is up next. Game day, 6.30 puck drop, six-game pregame coverage here. Uh, it is your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.